One night I decided to watch a marathon of demonic possession movies. I'm talking Night of the Demons, Demoni, Demoni 2, and anything else they had with demons possessing people. So I decided to add drinks with that, right? So I'm sitting here watching these movies back to back, getting drunk off my ass like there was no tomorrow. I don't know what I was thinking. This was during the time right, right after the economic housing crisis and I moved in with my parents to help them out and to help me out. It was a mutual thing. Another story some other time. Anyway, basically I was drinking to the point where I was like not going anywhere the next day. I already knew it. I already planned it. I had no plans laid out, but the drinks were steady flowing. So I decided to go use the bathroom in a drunken stupor. Before I walked out the room, I could have sworn that a magazine that was on my dresser, it was a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. I don't know what the fuck it was doing in my room. I don't read Sports Illustrated. I sure as hell don't read the swimsuit edition, but it was there. And there was this beautiful model on there, and she was, you know, scantily clad and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. So I go use the bathroom, come back into the room, and just so happened to look at the magazine again, and the model had turned into some type of demon on the magazine. I yelped. I stifled, I stifled my scream and I ran and I bumped into the wall trying to run from the magazine. And I was like, okay, you have had way too many damn drinks and you're drunk and you just got all these different type of demons on your mind right now. So I go back into my bedroom look at the magazine again and the bitch is still demonic i'm talking like snakes coming out her head teeth looking all crazy and stuff bug bug eyes and stuff green skin and so i'm sitting there hyperventilating like oh my god what have i brought into this house through all this demonic stuff being played on my tv and i'm like i don't know what's going on is it something, it was there something in my drink? And then something told me in the back of my head, fool, turn the magazine over. So I turned the magazine over and there was the actual cover of Sports Illustrated in the model. So I turned the magazine back over and there was the picture. And I looked down at the bottom of the magazine and the woman was holding uh, Snickers. So this was a Snickers commercial or a Snickers ad rather, saying that you're you're not you when you're hungry. I don't know how the hell that magazine got turned over. I never touched the magazine. So I would just leave it at, I stopped drinking for the rest of the night and took my ass to bed. But a small part of me thinks that my dad came into the room and saw what I was watching because he does not like horror movies at all and decided to pull a prank on me. I wouldn't put it past him. He's very sneaky that way. But short story, the longer the, sh- the longer the story is that, yeah, I was fucked for the rest of that night. Attention, attention, do not be disturbed. You are now leaving reality and entering Midnight Social Distortion.
And welcome back, strays and gays. This is Midnight Social Distortion, and I am your host, Marco Estes. And this week, I'm going to keep the episode short because I have family that's in town and they really want me to get me, they really want to get me out in the streets. So I'm going to go ahead and give you guys what's on my mind this week and head out and actually enjoy life. You know, um, part of me doesn't want to do it because the sun is like super out and I'm like that meme with Roger that says why is the sun so loud because I don't know I just don't do hot I don't do hot shit I'm not a hot girl summer type person so well I know that's enough anyway what I'm trying to say is I do not do the heat I do not do it and on top of that my current situation right now is that my unit at the moment has no central air coming in and yeah Memphis is calling for about close to 100 degrees today so yeah I'm finna go chill with the folks literally we might have you know take out or something like that but I'm telling them to just bring it back to the house in my parents house and we're going to sit there and eat it that way but anyway long story short I have two topics this week one might be kind of like Mark, why are you doing this on a horror podcast? But I told y'all from episode one that this is a combination of all things that I love that includes horror, pop culture, and gay mess. So this covers mostly the pop culture and gay mess portion, but also a little bit of horror, but not in a way that you would probably interpret it as because it is it it's it's kind of darker than the than the, the original um the original adaptation that is gossip girl gossip girl and hbo max release the actual trailer for the series that drops july 9th or is it july 8th i think it's july 9th and the show is a whole lot more darker it's a whole lot darker than the original um, series that aired on the cw a few years ago or rather eight years ago but anyway, I'm going to discuss that in a few minutes. But I'm really dedicating this entire episode to Fear Street, the history of the book series, why I prefer it over Goosebumps, the t- movies that uh, they're coming out next month, the trailer that was released, where the second trailer that was released, and just what I hope for the franchise going forward. Um, so before that, let's get into a few news items. For starters, um, let me clarify or try to make sense of my last episode. The episode, um, episode three titled Spiraling into Pride, I felt like after I published it and everything that it was a drunken mess. But the point I was trying to make was that being, the, trying to correlate both, not correlate, but connect the Wall Street um Black Wall Street burning or the Tulsa burning, Tulsa massacre, excuse me, from 1921 was trying to connect it with the gaslighting and the complete erasure of the black experience and the spiral. And what with that I meant was with the character of Malik, he him being surrounded by nobody of color and having um just just being alone in a in a very hostile environment it's kind of like being surrounded by 
well, it's not. It, I try to correlate that experience with the experience of how whitewashed the Tulsa massacre was. It was considered the Tulsa riots at first. And even then, there was a lot of people who didn't know about it because nobody wanted to talk about it because they acted as if it didn't exist almost. So I was trying to correlate that with Malik's um, experience in the movie Spiral and how going into Pride was kind of like a bittersweet moment of having really delved deep into what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma back in 1921 on May 31st and June 1st of 1921 and then going immediately immediately into Pride and bright rainbows and you know happiness and solidarity and all that it's just you know kind of was kind of you know confusing it's probably why I wasn't a drunken stupor and why I probably sounded like a madman but there's that I want to apologize for anybody who was like what the fuck is Mark talking about and what is he doing so getting that out the way also last week or this past week rather um had a lot of information dump because one it was Netflix's um geeked week I'm thinking I'm pronouncing it right and E3 is going to be next week. So a lot of platforms, um, gaming um, pla- gaming companies and whatnot were releasing trailers of, you know, IP that people have been looking forward to for a long time now. And I'm pretty sure that COVID fucked up a lot of people's plans all across the board. So this was a welcoming um, week in terms of entertainment news and I'm just going to pick some of the stuff that I found interesting throughout that on top of the news that also dropped during the week starting with um, Clarence Williams III passing um, if you don't know who Clarence Williams III is he was Mr. Sims and Rusty Cundiff's um, I pronounced I probably butchered the hell of his name but Tales from the Hood and Everybody pretty much knows him, and everybody in the horror community knows him as Mr. Sims. But Clarence Williams III has done a lot of other stuff that is just, you know, phenomenal. He was one of the he was one of the three original members of the Mod Squad, the television show back in the day. He also had a funny scene, and I'm gonna get you sucker. Um, with I it was it was one of those like you know those guys those black guys who was like very all about you know black power and stuff like that and they end up having a white spouse or something and he played that guy and it was it was just hilarious how that one scene played itself out and he also played in a lot of other movies that i can't name at the moment because yeah it just he was like another i don't want to say another samuel jackson but you know, they could have been tit for tat, just to say. But rest in peace, rest in power, Clarence Williams III. Also, um, Sci-Fi did a um, Pride, I want to call it a Pride Marathon with the um, latter Chucky movies from Bride of Chucky on up to um, Cult of Chucky. And they called it pride of chucky and i was like that is the perfect name for those series of movies so from here on out i am declaring pride of chucky seed of chucky curse of chucky cult of chucky as all um 
pride of the the pride of Chucky saga is pretty much what I'm trying to call it because that makes it makes the it makes perfect sense perfect sense so there's that also there was Evil Dead Rise has officially started production that's going to drop on HBO Max exclusively which I'm excited for as I said in a previous episode it doesn't take place after the after the Evil Dead remake but actually it's a part of the original trilogy and I'm interested to see how that plays out um what else we got here Evil speaking of Evil Dead they released a play a play of um um, what they call it they released a trailer but it's the gameplay trailer excuse me the gameplay trailer for the Evil Dead game and they revealed two characters but mostly everybody was paying attention to only one of those characters they introduced Cheryl Williams Ash, Ash's um, sister who was possessed in the original Evil Dead movie as a playable character but they also revealed in the gameplay trailer Amanda from Evil, Ash versus the Evil Dead. She was played by Jill Marie Jones in the in the first season, and yeah, she's a playable character in that game as well. I am looking for anybody that is willing to play that game with me because I was a huge fan of the Friday Thirteenth game. Still am, but I think a lot of people have mostly migrated to Dead by Daylight, which I'm still trying to learn how to play. I know I suck. Um, it's a game that I have. I'm still stuck on the tutorial portion, and I'm thinking it's because my fingers are not as fast or dexterous as um, everybody else's when it comes to trying to get those generators going. But yeah, I'm getting there. So hopefully, Evil Dead the game does not have anything is com- complicated for my fingers because I could be kind of clumsy with those. So my PS4 handle is m-o-s-t-i-s and that is the letter o all one word so add me on playstation 4 or playstation plus or whatever you want to call it however you do that just add me on there and if you're down to do a game of evil dead the game let me know i will be purchasing it when it drops i don't think they gave an official release date but it does come out this year so it's either gonna i'm pretty sure it may drop during like the Halloween season. I'm praying that it does because that would be the perfect time to drop a game like that, especially after people who are thirsty for a new IP outside of Friday the 13th or a new horror IP outside of Friday the 13th and Dead by Daylight. So that was something else that popped that um, interested me this week. Also, we have rob zombie doing the monsters movie he's doing a version of the monsters you know with lily and herman monster um a lot of there's been a lot of split reaction to that me personally i'm on the fence because i'm just trying to see what he's going to do with this movie um there's rumors that has been somewhat confirmed that sherry zombie moon i mean sherry moon zombie is actually going to be lily monster which you know i didn't think it was going to be anybody else but sherry zombie moon or sherry moon zombie excuse me sorry i keep butchering her name but i i don't know it's just there's some rob zombie movies that are hit and misses for me um i love i'm actually one of the people who actually enjoyed the halloween remake 
and I'm actually one of those who enjoyed the backstory to a certain degree. Um, maybe because it, because at first, you know, because any day I'm going to take the original John Carpenter classic over at Rob Zombie's movie because the whole concept of Michael Myers was that you you just know that he exists. He's an unstoppable force and you don't need to know the background as to why he came to be who he was. So, but I felt that Rob Zombie did a good job at creating that story for those who cared. Um, I actually enjoyed it. And when it got to Michael being an adult and going to Haddonfield and just bulldozing through people, I and that's the part of the movie that I enjoyed the most. Uh, it kind of modernized you know, Michael Myers in a way. And But outside of that, I did not like Halloween 2. Uh, outside a few moments in it, I did enjoy House of a Thousand Corpses, surprisingly. And I really surprisingly enjoyed The Devil's Rejects. I was shocked that I actually was rooting for the um, Firefly family. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? They were, I was hating them at the beginning of the movie, but by the end of the movie, I was kind of upset that they, you know, what happened. But we found out that they were okay. So it kind of ruined the moment there. But I also enjoyed The Lords of Salem. And that's pretty much it. I haven't seen 31. I haven't seen Three from Hell. I'm pretty sure there's another Rob Zombie movie out there that I have not seen. But, yeah, I'm just interested to see how, what he does with this property. Um, I know a lot of people were, like, all upset. And I even said I can practically smell them through the screen, like the char- his characters. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good on that. But, I mean, I'm going to give it a chance, maybe with the trailer. But outside of that, I don't know anything else outside of what I'm going to give to that situation. Um, they also revealed this week that Christine is getting a remake by Hannibal creator Brian Fuller, who also gave us his version of the monsters, um, which didn't go to, which was just a pilot that ended up becoming a made for TV movie. And he also gave us, of course, you know, I said Hannibal, uh, pushing daisies he's responsible for a lot of the current reboots of sci-fi shows on tv right now i have a huge like somewhat crush on brian fuller so i'm just gonna leave it at that i love him i love i love him to death and i'm interested to see what he does with christine um i know a lot of people were like oh i'm there was nothing wrong with the original movie but i don't have a problem with john carpenter's movie either i just think that it's one of those movies that could be remade um there's, I mean, that's a that might be a topic for a later episode. But there's some movies that are re, there are fodder for remaking, there are fodder for being remade, and there are some that should just be left alone. Uh, some are just a uh, a relic of its time period, and some can transcend the era that they were uh, made in, the originals were created in. And I think that Christine is one of those that will elevate that because I mean that they, they elevate that um rises above just being set in a certain time period. And I'm interested to see what Brian has set up for it. So looking forward to that. Um what else do we have here? Um, um I'm gonna talk about I know I said I had two topics to talk about, but 
I'm about to get in a rant about figure collecting. Um, I collect action figures because when I was a kid, yes, I had action figures, and this is not, not no slight on my parents, but I didn't have everything that I wanted growing up in terms of figures. Um, I had a few nice figures, but the problem I had was little cousins coming over and everybody saying, oh, let your cousins play with your toys. And then those toys end up missing or destroyed by the time they go home. So most of the figures, because I was one of those guys who, if I could not find, let's say for instance, I had a Batman figure and he had a Batarang. If I could not find that Batarang, I would act a plum fool. And I was not that, I was not a bad kid at all. I was not very, you know, demanding. I didn't have tantrums. I didn't have, you know, it was just the thing of the matter was give me my action figures, give me my books, leave me alone and just leave me in front of the TV. I promise I won't be going through your jewelry drawer or your closet. I was not that type of person. So all I wanted was my figures. So if somebody came and just disrupted that piece, you would see a nasty side of me. And so growing up, I did not maintain a lot of my figures. I literally have probably to this day, five action figures, probably out of 50 to a hundred that survived my childhood. And that's only because I managed to get them. I managed to be able to put them up when those people came over and as I got older I bestowed some figures to favorite cousins and whatnot as they were growing up because I knew they would take care of them and whatnot but there was only literally like five figures that still remain some of them are damaged but that's beside the point the point I'm trying to make is that as an adult I collect action figures I mostly collect Batman figures and of course I'm a big NECA ultimate um, horror figure collector if you see if you've seen any of my instagram pages of my collections then you know i have like a lot of freddy krueger figures i have a few jason figures i have a michael myers from the 2018 halloween laurie strode from that movie as well the pinhead ultimate figure the scream ultimate figure um ghostface ultimate figure so i and leatherface chucky you know i have those you know figures and i have them on display and I also have um, drifted off and I have a shrine dedicated to black action figures because as a kid growing up, they were very scarce. You know, you would have that one black figure and it was probably I could never find it in stores, not because they were readily they was always sold out is because people just didn't buy the black figure and they would probably end up going on clearance and somebody might end up getting it anyway so i didn't have i don't remember i think the only thing i had close to a black figure growing up was a mc hammer doll that i broke the day i got it which was on christmas and i wasn't trying to break it that's just how flimsy it was but anyway as i was saying I collect black action figures and I'm also a big Marvel Legends type person. And this week, Ghost um, Hasbro released that they're doing, they're redoing the Ghostbuster Plasma series figures. But this time they're going to be, they're going to be slimed and they will glow in the, the slime and glow in the dark. And each of them would come with an actual um, proton, proton stream. 
for each character instead of only one character having a proton stream in the original set. I was happy about this, but I know that nine times out of ten, the Egon figure might go um, because of Harold Ramis's passing. He might sell out quicker, and that may mean that scalpers would come in, buy the figure, and then put it on eBay for two hundred some odd dollars, which is fucking ridiculous. And the reason why I slid into this topic is because. Um, this happens with action figures and it happens with like physical media releases. I, I, if you're a scalper, um, I, I just don't, I, I can't, I, I don't, I, I don't see it for you. And the reason why I say this is because I know a guy, everyone that when like, especially when the PlayStation fives came out, like people were saying like scalpers were buying like five to 10 PlayStation fives and they're running like, depending on what bundle you bought, they're running nowhere under $400. So if you were able, so people were like, oh, let that man make his money. Let that man make his profit. But if you were able to buy five to 10, hell, somebody bought 28 PlayStation 5s, you're not hurting for money. You're just being greedy and an asshole. So the same thing goes with people who scalp figures like, Marvel Legends released the Disney Plus wave that includes WandaVision, um, the Scarlet, um, the WandaVision version of Scarlet Witch, um, the white version of the Vision, Loki from the Loki series, Falcon and the Winter Soldiers, Captain America, and Bucky and John Walker. And I'm thinking there's another figure in this set I cannot recall at the moment, though. But the point of the matter is that Scarlet Witch is already on eBay for $89. How the hell do you put something out there so quick when it's still readily available in some areas? Like, I have friends in different parts of the country that can go into a Target and find that figure. And would, I don't think I would pay outside of the $20 or the $21 is shipping and handling for them to ship it to me. I, I It just, it does, it, it befundles me that people are doing this. And so I'm pretty sure that when Egon's figure comes out for this um, plasma wave, um, Ghostbuster plasma series, it's going to sell out and it's going to be skyrocketed to probably a hundred some odd dollars just on the passing of Harold Ramis. And I lucked up with the current uh, plasma series figures because I found an Egon and somebody found him for $7 in a clearance sale. And I'm pretty sure this same figure is going for maybe 90 some odd dollars on eBay. The reason why I bring, I have this rant is because if we stop buying into this scalper, um, scalper thing or I forget what, what they want to call it it would stop um, for instance Blackula and Scream Blackula Scream the Scream Factory versions of those two movies sold out they're out of print with that company and as soon as they announced they were out of print those discs were went from being $20 to 90 and 105 and stuff like that and I'm like why um, I think it's a bare bones disc and when you buy stuff like that you buy it to watch it unless it's like um, 
set kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe sets that came out. I can see why you probably want to keep those in packaging and like pristine condition or whatnot. But most of the movies are bought to be watched over and over again, analyzed, you know, and whatnot. So it makes no sense for somebody to pay that much money for a bare bones disc. Same thing with the Friday 13th um, Screen Factory box set. Before the damn, before they even came out in people's hands, people were selling them for $1,000. And you could easily go buy this set for $129 at Best Buy. I literally walked into the Best Buy the day it was released and walked out with it in my hand. Um, so it, it makes no sense for people to procure these items and then they're probably not even real genre fans. They're just people trying to make a buck off of genre fans because they know genre fans tend to pay a lot of money for these type, types of materials and stuff like that or types of items. And we should not buy into that um, that culture. Just, just like, no, stop. <sighs> but that was my little mini rant on figures. And I might even do an extended rant on that one day for a future episode. But yeah, stop. Please don't buy into any of that um, scalping culture because um, nobody wins except for the scalpers. You might get the you you might get that DVD. You might get that Blu-ray or that 4K. You might get that figure though. But imagine you paying. $115 or something for a figure and you go into the Target like the next week after you get it and it's on it's there not only is it there but it might be on clearance for like $7 you would be pissed off and your significant other if you do have a significant other might want to slap the shit out of you so yeah don't buy into it don't don't buy into the scalper nation or whatever you want to call it because yeah also Speaking of figures and toys and nostalgia, um, he may um Netflix also revealed the first trailer for their revelation, their Masters of the Universe Revelation series, which is a sequel series to the original Funimation um, He Man the Andy Masters of the Universe cartoon from back in the eighties. I looked at it, I enjoyed it. Um, I can't wait to see what they bring with it i know it's going to probably be a little bit darker which you know i'm always here for dark material a dark spin on uh previously fluffy material so yeah i'm looking really looking forward to that coming out next month and if i'm not mistaken i think it drops on i'm looking up my notes here i it drops on july 23rd so as I said in my tweet earlier this week, um, July is going to be filled with nostalgia and I cannot wait for it from when I was a kid all the way to my adult years. It's just, it has everything next month. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wishing for June to go ahead and run out, even though it is pride month. I'm just ready, ready for it. June. I'm ready for July to come here so I can get my movies and my TV shows that I've been waiting for so let me see what else do we have here Castlevania is getting a spinoff um, the anime this ended I think with the fourth season it's going to be the last season it's getting a spinoff um, it, um, it's going to explore the son of Sypha and Trevor Rich, Richter Belmont 
Um, it's going to be set during France, the French Revolution, which would took place in 1792. So that's just a, a little nugget of information that came out this week about that. And finally, we have, well, not finally, but we also have that Lance Reddick is going to be the Albert Wesker in Netflix's Resident Evil series, which is called, um, I think it's just simply called Resident Evil. Um, yeah, it's just going to be called Resident Evil. So it's going to be about his daughters. They're going to be pretty much... Um, I guess the the way the plot this is the plot it's two timelines and I'm reading this from Bloody Disgusting so bear with me in the first timeline 14 year old sisters Jade and Billy Wesker are moved to New Raccoon City a manufactured corporate town forced in their right as adolescence is in full swing but the more time they spend there the more they come to realize that the town is more than it seems and their father may be concealing dark secrets secrets that could destroy the world Fast forward to a decade into the future, there are less than 15 million people left on Earth and more than 6 billion monsters that includes people, animals, and the like infected with the T-virus. Jade, who is now 30, struggles to survive in this new world while the secrets from her past about her sister, her father, and herself continue to haunt her. There will be eight hour-long episodes and... Yeah, I'm just stuck on the fact that Albert Wesker is going to be black, and I'm happy about that. Because Lance Reddick is, he just has that menacing factor about him that I think will work well with Albert Wesker. And, I mean, I'm here. I'm here for it, you know? So, yeah, go Resident Evil. And that includes also the Resident Evil Infinite Darkness um animated series that's dropping later this year and resident evil welcome to raccoon city the reboot movie that is also coming out later this year so this is really the year of the umbrella corporation so there's that and also it was announced that kevin bacon of all people is going to be the villain in the toxic avenger remake so yeah that's gonna be awesome that is from Deadline. And hopefully this will get um, Kevin Bacon back into the horror realm officially since the Tremors pilot that he he did did not go to series, which was a fucking dumb move on whoever's part that was that didn't pick it up. Um, and maybe we can ignite some more um, interest in Kevin Bacon taking over for Robert England as Freddy Krueger. I could see that. Um, I kind of wish that Robert would do one more movie and then they have an official reboot introducing Kevin Bacon. Um, have Robert England tie up the loose ends of the original Nightmare on Elm Street series. Where the fuck is Alice? What happened to Jacob? Um, you know, and because I, I, well, I'm one of the few people who still feel, well, I don't know. I, am certain that Freddy versus Jason takes place in the original Elm Street timeline. Um, it also takes place in the original Friday 13 timeline. It just combines both franchises together. Some people like to say, oh, it's just a one-off movie, but no, um, you can include that into both timelines because the Friday 13th movie, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, pretty much set this movie up and uh, set up Fred, 
Freddie versus Jason. And I just feel like if they gave us one more Elm Street movie for Robert to, or for Robert's Freddie to um, tie up the loose ends of Alice, Jacob, and just a nice bookend. No little winks at the end of the movie saying that there's going to be another sequel to that particular um, um, series, but just, you know, just a nice bow um, and let whatever happens in people's minds happen but then reboot the series over um i'm gonna get more into that in a future episode of the podcast but now let's go to my first topic of the day which is the gossip girl reboot right after the break and we are back and now I will get into my history with my fandom of Gossip Girl. I was a fan of Gossip Girl before it was a television series. Gossip Girl was initially a book that had, I want to say, three sequels, not sequels, but three more books in the series that were really popular and little brown who was the publisher of the original series asked for the author whose name is cicely von Ziegzer, to produce some more um she eventually produced four more and i'm if i'm not mistaken i think the last four books in the series and the prequel book and maybe the secret reunion book were written by a ghostwriter. Um, and I do know that she did the spinoff show, um, the spinoff um, books about the It Girl, and um, that was about Jenny and the Gossip Girl, the Carlisle series. Uh, yeah, yeah, books 9, 10, 11 of the main series were ghostwritten, so she actually wrote the last book in the series which was called um you will always love me if i'm not mistaken uh let's see but yeah she did those and they were pretty much uh no don't you forget about me excuse me actually no that was written by the ghostwriter oh shit but she did write It Had to Be You, which was the prequel series, or the prequel book, and I Will Always Love You, which was the last book. But it was the reunion book, and it came out kind of after the show had pretty much hit big. I want to say it came out like a year after the show was pretty popular. The series dealt with, deals with a group of teens who are very privileged, and they are teenagers at the Constance Biller School for Girls and also the guy version of that, which I cannot recall at the moment. But these teens were, I mean, they were getting away with shit that I didn't think they could get away with. Like, this was not Sweet Valley High. This was not the Babysitter's Club. These kids were having sex, doing drugs, smoking, drinking, um, taking vacations on a whim. They just had the world at their hands. And to be truthfully honest with you, looking back at the book series and looking at the TV show that followed, I kind of feel like the CW version of Gossip Girl, in hindsight, was sort of watered down. Now, granted, 
for what was on TV at the time, it was not. Because I remember the whole controversy of the show where they had um, a campaign, an ad campaign with them showing the kids doing all types of different stuff and parents getting upset and saying, like, you guys are, like, pretty much pandering to teens to have sex and do drugs and da 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 they didn't see anything that the books didn't do. I mean, the books were far worse, so far worse that I believe a library in, I want to say Florida or North Carolina, one of those states, um, banned the books. Uh, one woman checked out all the books from the library and held them hostage because she didn't want nobody else reading them because she felt that they were very debaucherous and I, I don't know if that's actually a word, but they were not for the bee, they were not the bee's knees for her daughter who... I don't know uh, was probably into it. I don't know, but the part, the point of the point of the matter was that as a former librarian, that's something you cannot do. But it just goes to show you that the influence that these books had on teens growing up. They had a a lot of knockoff series that came out um, be, after those. Like um, I don't want to say Pretty Little Liars was a knockoff. It was it well. Yes and no. Um, that was a poppy um, imprint label that did those, and they also did um, Gossip Girl. That was just Little Brown's version of you know trying to appeal to the teen audience and whatnot. But the A List was a um, knockoff. We always had knockoff, but it was just it probably was a knockoff. The A List, the Click. They even had a series of. Uh, with four guys i forgot the name of that series um about four guys and their drama and stuff like that kind of like it was like a guy it was like a guy's version of gossip girl i didn't care about gender when i was reading books the only thing i didn't like reading when i was a kid was romance novels i thought they were shit but other than and, um westerns but other than that everything was fair game so I read Gospel Girl because I was into serial, a serialized format and the characters were very interesting. They were very, you know, knowledgeable about a lot of stuff that, you know, you didn't see, um, you didn't see, well, they probably did mention it, but the, the teens of Sweet Valley High and Sweet Valley University and whatnot, they weren't talking about going to Paris and where they were, they went to Paris a couple of times, but you know, it was just like we're in Paris. This is the tale that's going on right now. But no, they got into like the, like the girls and the characters talking about Van Gogh and art and you know all this different stuff with a well-renowned knowledge of it. They were sophisticated, super sophisticated. Not just by saying the word. It was like let me show you how sophisticated they were. It was like they. Um, let me tell you how sophisticated we were. No, they showed it in their actions, in the stuff that they were interested in, in their dreams, their, you know, um, ambitions or whatnot. And not just Blair and Serena, the two leads of the books, but their friends, Chuck, Nate, um, Isabel, Cotty, Jenny, Dan, Vanessa, you know, everybody who was involved in the books had, like, dreams of going to colleges and stuff like that it was just mm -hmm. amazing and I was in college as I was reading these books and I was like why was my high school years that damn exciting but anyway my final year of college was when they released the television show Gossip Girl the adaptation and on the CW and 
I was here for it. Don't get me wrong. Gossip Girl was the shit back then um, when it first came out. I just know looking back at it now and looking at some of the later seasons, the show was still ahead of its time. It was a, it was a um, trendsetter. But again, if you had read the books, you'd been like, okay, they, they kind of like didn't go there with a lot of stuff. Like in the books, for instance, Chuck was pansexual he didn't have any um he was they said bye but i think he would have fucked anything that crawled um whether the whether they was trying to know they just kept him as bye but i really think that he was pansexual he was just a leech and a lot of stuff that chuck did in the books and in the first season of gossip girl would not fly in today's um eyes especially in the me too and um time up era that we're in right now because i'm surprised that people still rooted for him you know back even then because i'm like he did some very duplicitous stuff like how y'all still rooting for this dude like chuck would have been in jail if he'd have pulled the shit that he pulled if he pulls the shit if he could have pulled the shit now that he did back then no he would not have no no but the show was still good um josh schwartz um brought it to tv and he's the creator of the oc and it got to the point with like the oc some of the relationships among the show became kind of predictable like you would have these guest stars come in on both shows or, or just just to be fodder for the main couples to split up during the middle of the season or like towards mid-season and then by the end of the season that guest star would fade away and then the couples end up back together but then the next season something happens that would piss somebody off in the relationship and then they'll sit there and go you know it was just a it was a formula that was not it got tired real quickly and i'll be honest with you i tapped out in the first episode of season five of the original gossip girl series i have not went back to see it but i do know how it ended i do know who they revealed gossip girl to be in the book series i don't think they ever revealed who gossip girl was but in the television series they revealed who gossip girl was and i thought it was a cop out and i'm not gonna say it here because i'm pretty sure that some people who will be interested in catching up on the show will probably want to see it for themselves that's if they even you know care about gossip girl but anyway on to the reboot i want to say late 2019 it it, i want to say probably when they were getting hbo max together they announced they were going to do a gossip girl reboot and of course, they couldn't get any of the main characters from the original show back because, you know, Blake Lively married Ryan Reynolds and she's unbothered with anything that is dealing with TV right now. Um, Leighton Meester actually married um, Adam Brody from, I don't know if she married him or they just had a kid together, but I do know that they're together. Adam Brody was Seth Cohen on um, the OC. Um, Nate um, Chase... I forgot Chase's last name. Um, the guy who played Nate Arbuchal, his name is Chase. Jesus Christ, y'all. Bear with me here. Um, Chase. What is his name? Chase Crawford. Thank you. Chase Crawford is on The Boys right now. So you know, you know, you know you're not going to get him. Penn Badgley, who played Dan Humphrey, is on You. And, yeah, pretty much everybody's doing their own thing. They're not... They're not gonna live, get rid of these lucrative, um, 
businesses and um, lives they live in right now just to come back for this show. Um, maybe if they did it like in another 10 or 20 years, like they're kind of doing with the um, Sex and the City um, reboot or sequel series. But now, no. And But it makes sense. But it you can't have Gospel Girl with them being adults. You have to keep it with the um, younger group. And they... Set the series eight years after Gossip Girl went dark, and in the show's timeline, Gossip Girl ended. I want to say, when did Gossip Girl end? It ran for, it ran into 2012, so eight years ago. But there was a time jump in the last episode, five years. So, with the five year jump. And the eight years, you know, it, it gives time for technology to grow and technology to, um, you know, represent today's teen audience. With that being said, uh, the show was taking place eight years post the last po- um, blast from Gossip Girl. And there's a new group of teens at Constance Billard and they are just minding their own business. And all of a sudden, the site reopens, but it's not a site anymore. It is an Instagram page. Um, this is coming from what the trailer was saying. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I was obsessed with that trailer because it really gave a dark tint, a dark twinge to the original series like even though you can see the met steps them in the conscious bill of uniforms and um you know just it's like the iconic the iconography of the original show is still there but it seems like it's tinted in a dark lens and i'm here for that because even though gossip girl the books were some people might have looked at them as fluff me personally and i guess it's just the person that I am, I felt that there was a little bit of darkness in there. Um, the only thing preventing them to, from going full dark was all the name dropping of all the clothes that they were wearing and the cologne. Um, the brand, the, the name brand, the name, the name branding that they name brand dropping that they were doing throughout the books was the only. It was kind of comical at times. I mean, you can't take the book seriously, though, but the thing of the matter is that the only thing darker for me than the Gossip Girl books is um, Brett Easton Ellis's um, Less Than Zero. Um, speaking of which, they did a Gossip Girl novel called Psycho Killer, which was a parody of the first novel and was inspired by American Psycho, which was also written by Brett Easton Ellis. But, yeah, the series looks very polished it looks very modern it looks like it's going to be a water cooler moment i don't think it's going to catch the same um zygeist of and i hope i pronounced it right because i'm country of the original show because it's on hbo max but i am glad about that because by being on hbo max it gives it no limits on what they can do um also they can probably bring in some storylines that the cw probably was too scared to venture down or they were just not hip to just you know doing like you know uh 
like I said, the the whole Chuck Bass bisexuality or pansexuality thing looks like it's going to make its way into the new show. Also, Vanessa in the book series had a shaved head. And the main character, who I believe name is Julian, who I think is going to end up being the new Blair, she has a shaved head and she's of uh, she's a person of color. And I feel that back then the CW was not looking to have anybody have a shaved head on their show, even though they did have the character Vanessa come in kind of late. And I think that was a disservice to that character because again, the CW had a specific um, audience in mind and a specific look for the show. And I felt that them bringing in Vanessa late in the game was a disservice to that character and especially making her a person of color and, and people automatically hating her and feeling like that she was just not a fit there also spoke volumes for different reasons um i actually liked vanessa i mean she did some really like, dumb shit but everybody on the show did some dumb shit i just think that vanessa deserved all the hate that she gets even to this day so um because everybody on the show did some dumb shit and but it just seems like Chuck did some shit way worse than Vanessa did, but you have a lot of people worshiping him, and it just speaks volumes about the audience that the CW had. And my, I'm just gonna be honest. I mean, some people might disagree with me, and that's fine. But I just see it for what it was, you know. Um, but like I said, if they had brought Vanessa in early, had her be like Dan's best. He, she's supposed to be Dan's best friend, but he doesn't. She doesn't pop up until like later in the season. And it's like they're trying to figure out a way to get her in the show and probably try to find an actress that would have probably been um, okay with shaving her head or not. I don't know. But bringing her in late, yeah, that was a bad move by whoever's decision it was. Um, but back on to the reboot, like I said, is you know, it, it, looks, it looks timely and I'm glad they're using instagram instead of a website because i don't think i mean even though there's still bloggers out there celebrity bloggers and whatnot most people get their news from social media in terms of like twitter or instagram and facebook but i think facebook is kind of like pissed a lot of people off so i'm kind of even though facebook owns instagram i just think that instagram is the perfect um, platform to have Gossip Girl set up on because it's pictures, uh, caption, and that's all you need. And you don't have to. You don't. You're not limited by um, a hunt up. It's 240 characters. You're not bombarded with like a lot of um, Facebook ads and whatnot. So perfect choice on their part. I am loving the cast. I'm loving that the cast is a lot more diverse than the original cast was. I am also happy that how I, I mean it's just it's just a wonderful I mean I'm, I was obsessed I'm obsessed with Julian I'm obsessed with um the new girl Zoe I'm obsessed with just um is it Audrey Hope is the new, uh, other character who is probably going to end up being the Serena I'm just obsessed with everybody. I'm obsessed with the show already, and I cannot wait for July 8th to get here. Because, and I pray that they don't dump them all um, 
at one time. I pray that they only give us like an episode a week. I think HBO Max has been real good with that. I think they might have competition with their brethren generation on HBO Max, but I think Gossip Girl, the original Gossip Girl, crawled so shows like Euphoria, Skins, and Generation could run because the stuff that they got away with, the stuff that goes on in those, that went on in those three shows or is currently going on in those three shows, they could not even bother to even mention on um, the CW back in the early, the late 2000s and the early 2010s and stuff like that. So I'm, ha- I'm here for Gossip Girl. I'm very here for it. I'm excited for it. Um, if you haven't seen the trailer, go check it out. Also, you probably want to um, follow the site on the follow the Instagram page and see what the characters are, who the characters are and whatnot. But yeah, before I go, I do want to break down each of the characters. We have, uh, let's see, we have Audrey Hope, who is played by Emily Lind. We have Kate Keller, who is played by Tabby Tool. I think I pronounced her name correctly. And we have, like I said, Julian Calloway, who is played by Jordan Alexander. And I'm going to start with these four first. Like I said, I believe Julian and Audrey are the new Blair and Serena. Um, I believe Kate is because I'm looking at Kate and she's not really factored really well into the um but she hasn't I'm actually she not she doesn't factor well she factored in the trailers but it was more along the lines of like she was just there and I'm thinking that she might end up being the new Georgina and the reason why I say that is because based on the in the book series Georgina was only in one book she probably popped up in the reunion book but I cannot remember but Georgina in the original series was only in one book and she was a mess. I do love what Josh Schwartz did with her and created. If you knew when Georgina Sparks stepped into the scene on Gossip Girl, you knew those last run of episodes were about to be a fucking mess because she came in and shook shit up. And it was another decision that was not thought through to not have her be on the show full time. You know, have somebody who is just as bitchy as Blair, but just as, but more callous in her um, execution of schemes or whatnot. So, yeah, I think Kate might end up being the new Georgina. I'm going to, I'm going to bet some money on that. But if she doesn't, then, oh, well. Um, we also have Luna La, who is played by, Zion Marino, I believe her name is. Zion. And also we have Monet DeHaan, who's played by Savannah Smith. A lot of people were scared that they may end up being the new Cotty and Isabel. And in the book series, Cotty and Isabel was there until I think towards the end of the books, but they were more along the lines like they weren't minions. They were just part of the clique. But in the TV show, they end up making them Blair's minions, meaning that they were just there to pamper after Blair. And we see in some parts of the trailer that they're either trailing Julian or they are 
I know I think Luna's kind of like trying to straighten out her clothes or something like that. And I'm like, I hope that's not the case. But um, Josh Safran, who is the uh, um, showrunner of the show, says that they're actually not going to be Isabel and Cotty. They're going to have their own storylines and they're pretty much the comedians of the show. I'm praying that that's true because when Gossip Girl, the original series came out, they had Cotty and Isabel and all the promotional stuff until like mid season. And then they just became background props. And it was, it was, it was tragic. Um, now let's get into uh, let's one last female on the cast is Zoya Lott, and she's played by Whitney Peak. She is clearly going to be the new Jenny of the show because she's the one who's brought into the group by Julian, and that might start some problems with some of the clique because she might bring chaos. But what's wrong with having chaos in Constance Miller? So. For the guys, we have Akino Aki Menzies. Menzies, he is played by Evan Mock. He might end up being the new um, Nate. Then we have Otto Ob Bergman the fourth. He's played by Eli Brown. And we have Max Wolf, who's played by Thomas Doherty. I'm forget which character supposed to be the openly gay one, but if you saw the trailer, then you'll see that. Aki and I want to say it's going to be Max are going to engage in some you know activities together and again that was something that the show the original show also didn't I mean they gave us um, Eric Vanderwoodson as a gay character but again he wasn't a part of the main storyline it was just like we have a gay character in the show and outside of the threesome between Dan, Vanessa, and I forgot who Hillary Duff played, that was pretty much it, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of like LGBTQ relationships in the main cast. But yeah, it they 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 they're improving on that. But and I'm pretty sure there's other cast members that they um mentioned but they haven't like promoted them so this is our main cast of the show and i am eager to see how well they uh bring up the legacy that is gossip girl because i know that the show kind of went out in a whimper most people would say it didn't but i think it kind of did um it kind of lost most of its luster when um they brought they got rid of jenny but to be fair to the producers and the show in general um what's her name taylor momsen she was over the show and she wanted to be let out her contract so but i feel that gossip girl missed the mark the original show could have had another spinoff with the carlisles and the carlisles was the last four book um section of the gossip girl because it followed these triplets called the Carlisle triplets and their little group of friends and whatnot. They should have done that as a spinoff or they should have done the it girl as a spinoff to feature Jenny. But I, if, if Taylor Momsen was tired of playing their roles, they probably couldn't, they probably couldn't even do the it girl. They probably could do it now, but it'll probably be, um, probably make any sense because a lot of people try to figure out how does it connect to the original show. But anyway, instead of doing that Valley girl is spinoff. Um, I didn't, I didn't think that was, 
that didn't make any sense to me because we all know Lily ended up with um, was it Bart? Whoever Chuck's well, it wasn't Bart, but we all know Lily ended up with whoever birthed you know her father. Serena and Eric's father, Vander Woodson, whoever the Vander Woodson guy was. But we knew that she um she and Rufus Dan's dad um had a had a this love story that was everlasting. So we knew that it was gonna be tragic and it was kinda of pointless to sit there and see how much of a wild child she was. I really didn't care about what Lily was did when she was a kid. That's just me. But I would have been okay with seeing the current era even though i'm a big 80s geek because the show would have took place in the 80s but it just seemed that it would not be as good um as a spinoff with the current group of kids maybe jenny or another group of kids like they're doing right now so but yeah gossip girl hbo max july 8th i will be there hopefully you will be there as well now moving on to fear street and i said it was going to be a short episode but clearly that has not been the case okay we're back for the final section of the episode um where i talk about fear street and my love for the series it was created by rl stein in 1989 and it went through several different publishers simon pulse or when i was a kid it was archway paperbacks which was i think uh which is i think which is what simon pulse morphed into golden books and saint martin's press basically this is all wikipedia uh fear street sold over 80 million copies as of 2010 and was recently revived back in october 2014 uh okay so let me get into how i came across fear street I actually found Fear Street probably through Goosebumps or I probably found them both at the same time. This was before I started reading. Um, I want to say if I started reading Sweet Valley or any of those type of books, I we had those scholastic um, order forms or troll. I think this was troll because troll, I think, was owned by Archway or something like that. I can't recall, but I know Scholastic was mainly Goosebumps, Babysitter's Club. I think the boxcar children maybe and whatnot but troll was where you got all the new fear street and maybe sweet valley books if they did do sweet valley i can't recall but the first fear street book i ever got was called missing and if i'm not mistaken i think the main characters in that book were mark and kara but the book came with a fear street bookmark and i clutched on that bookmark for as long as i could but it was something about the title Fear Street that struck me. Um, before the internet and whatnot, you know, uh, we just was going by what the blurb on the troll order form told us. And it was just the story of the book. But once I got the book in my hands and I realized how deep the mythology of Fear Street was, I became hooked. And... I think by this time, Fear Street was probably uh, well into um, its run. I think it was 94, maybe 93, 94. You know what? I want to say it was 92 because I remember in 93 having like a stack of Fear Street books that I read as I listened to the radio. Um, 
that I got from the library. So it had to be in 93, 92. But Fear Street was just the it was it was the shit. I mean, we that was currency in the hallways of our school. If you had a Fear Street book, I mean, if you were like in the if you were popular or not, that's how people connected was through those Fear Street books. It was it was either Fear Street or Goosebumps or Sweet Valley. People were swapping those books left and right. The school libraries were late getting the books into their um, catalogs, though. But you know. That's probably just my damn school or my school system. But anyway, um, I'm a big champion of the, of the Fear Street books. But let me start. Um, let me go back a little bit and go into the history of Fear Street in in story. Uh, Fear Street is was a book series that, like I said, created by R.L. Stein that f- featured teenagers dealing with supernatural occurrences, murder and other crazy shit that happened in the town of Shadyside, Ohio. Everything circulated on the eponymous um, street called Fear Street. Um, But the thing about Fear Street that was so fascinating was that it had a grave, it had a cemetery on the street. It also had a burnt out house of the original Fear family that was located on Fear Island. There was also Fear Lake. All this stuff was on one street. And the history of the fears was that back in the day, and I want to say the early 60s, in the 19th, not 19th century, but in the earlier days, um, the Fear family was cursed after the Fear, their names were originally uh, spelled F-I-E-R, but the curse told them that the reason why they was cursed because their name spelled out if you read um range the words it spelled out fire so fire was always a signifier of the fear family because you know the original spelling was f-i-e-r but if you switch the r and the e in the name it's spelled fire so the goods who uh the fear family originally but they, they kind of screwed them over um Matthew Fear and his brother Benjamin, they took Susanna and Martha Good and burned them at the stake for, I'm doing air quotes, allegedly practicing witchcraft. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the father that was actually practicing the witchcraft and he cursed the Fear family for generations to come because of that. Um, so the Good family factored as the I don't want to say that the villains of the Fish Street saga, which was the original three book trilogy that gave the history of Fish Street in the town of Shadyside. Those books consisted of the burning of oh, no, um, the secret. No, the betrayal, the secret, the burning, excuse me. Um, and it brought it all the way up until probably the 19th century, probably even like early 20th century about the fear family and whatnot. I think you leave it to the burning of the fear house on fear street. But the evil deeds of the Fear family and them doing all these curses and whatnot uh, kind of fucked this town of Shadyside, the residents of Shadyside, because you didn't have to be on Fear Street to necessarily get touched by the curse. But it was just most of the supernatural occurrences, demonic possessions, and otherworldly events took place on Fear Street. So, and Shadyside High. But anyway. So 
now, as you all know from a few from an earlier episode, Netflix is going to release a three part, oh, three part, a Fear Street trilogy next month that takes place in 1994, which is when the actual book series was like at its height. Um, then 1978 and then 1666 those are the three movies and it seems like it's going to be loosely based on the Fish Street saga given that they're trying to figure out why the town is cursed I don't recall any book ever outside of the Fish Street sagas which was the spinoff series of Fish Street I don't think that any of the modern day teens were trying to figure out why the town was cursed or why everything was happening on Fear Street because it was just kind of like Sunnyside of Sunny Sunnydale on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like nobody was trying to figure out why outside of Buffy and um the Scoobies, nobody was trying to figure out why Sunny um Sunnydale was on a hell mouth. It was just, you know, it was just okay, we're in the hell mouth, then we gotta deal with this shit. But I'm interested to see what the um, movie does. Now, the first trailer was more of a teaser showing that, you know, the three movies are coming. But this kind of the, the trailer that came out this past week was more in depth about what to expect um, from the movies. I am a little miffed about them changing the name of Fear Street to actually F-I-E-R. I feel like if they didn't actually took it to made it actual fear street f-e-a-r it would have been um it, it would have been perfect because in the books they are the the, the street is actually f-e-a-r because the um that was the main plot point in the fear street saga was the fact that the fear name ended up being changed to f-e-a-r because uh one of the fear brothers decided to change the name the spelling of the fear name to try to get rid of the curse because the curse is based on them being by, by the name being F I E R, but it didn't work as you can tell. So I feel like they missed the opportunity with that. They should just kept it at fear street and um, just left it at that. I think they was trying to give homage to that actual spelling but they could have just did that in the history that they're doing in the other the, um town that they're doing with 1666 you know they didn't have to make the street f-i-e-r that's just a little pet peeve of mine um also the it seems like everything's connected of course everything's connected from the 1666 all the way up to the 1994 but hopefully they leave the series open for more adaptations or more sequels. Hell, even a damn television series or a Netflix series that adapts the books featured in the original Fear Street run, which ran from 1989 to 2005, which is, um, no, excuse me, 1989 to 1999. It ran, the original series ran for 10 years, which is amazing because between all between those 10 years they they cranked out um, R.S. Stein cranked out some damn good books um my favorite trilogy is actually the fear street cheerleaders if you've seen me post this past week on facebook on my facebook on instagram and twitter you will see that i posted about the fear street cheerleaders because it was i out of all there's only one other trilogy that I reread over and over again, and that was the 90, the 99 Fear Street, the House of Evil trilogy. Those two trilogies from the Fear Street 
series were the best, the best. And I remember like eating them up all in one summer. But the thing about the cheerleaders, and I think R.L. Stein probably knew this because he wrote six books dealing with those damn cheerleaders. Um, he The first trilogy was the first evil, the second evil, the third evil. Then he came out with a super chiller that was like the super edition version of Fear Street, which was called The New Evil. And he also did a follow-up um, um, book called The Evil Awakens. And it dealt with a new generation of cheerleaders and uh, the curse of Sarah Fear. And then he did a prequel book that was set in the Fish Street Saga series called The Awakening Evil, which is pretty much how the evil spirit or the evil possession demon or whatever came to be. And I read those nonstop probably the first four more than the last two but i read them all non-stop i know the characters um quirky kakorin bobby kakorin um chip kimmy deborah i mean i still could call those names out like they were friends because i read those books over and over again the concept was amazing i mean demonic possession with the cheerleader like I'm just shocked that it has not been made into a movie or a television series yet. Um, so hopefully Fear Street on Netflix is a success and they go to that cheerleader um, trilogy and just give us a new trilogy every year or something, you know, I mean, just something. Like I said, the other one was 99 Fear Street, The House of Evil, which was pretty much um, a riff on probably the Amityville horror, but at the, but it was just Fear Street's version of that. And I know those sis, the sister, the twin sisters who starred in the trilogy was Callie and Cody. Um, I forget their last name, actually, for right now. But they were amazing. And they had uh, the second book in this series reminded me so much of um, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, only because of the main character, Brant. But it was because... Brent had like this um this um homoerotic subtext going on um he was actually a ladies man it, it's just the fact that the first book dealt with uh these two girls and the, how the evil you know destroyed their family and then it jumps into the second book is about this teen kid who finds you know the secrets of the last um, residents of the house and how and it, how the house affects him. And then the third book reminds me of both Scream 3 and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 because it brought back the original people and the, it, it reminds me of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 because the original final girl pops up back at the house to destroy it or to try to, you know, destroy the evil but at the same time it reminds me of screen three because it's all done on a movie set there's a movie being made in the third book called uh, the book series is called 99 fear street the house of evil the first horror the second horror the third horror and so the third book is about a film crew coming to make a movie based on um cody's experiences in living on living at 99 fear street and each each book had its own 
great moments that's very that's still that's, that are still vivid in my mind today. There hasn't been any like follow up book to that series though, but the only book series I think that had follow up the book trilogies, excuse me, that had follow ups were ninety nine Fear um Fear Street Cheerleaders and the Fear Street Saga, and the Fear Street Saga had a whole series of books spun off from it. So, but cheerle the Fear Street Cheerleaders is you know the first. Uh, if you're interested in getting into the Fear Street books, I would suggest you read Fear Street Cheerleaders, then probably read the Fear Street Sagas, and then 99 Fear Street, The House of Evil, and then any of the regular Fear Street books after that. There were two other trilogies that came out, one called The Catalina Chronicles, which was about an evil car, reminiscent of Christine. Um, then there was also Fear of Park, which was about a uh, amusement park being built on I think on some part of Fear Island if I'm not mistaken but it remember I, I don't I only read that series once and it wasn't as good as the previous ones were then they did a two-part duology called Fear Hall I don't know how um the fears got a hold of a dorm at, at I don't know if it was UC or not UC but um University of Ohio Shadyside or Ohio University I don't know but it just I didn't finish that one either that's when they started to get kind of they kept changing the covers on the books and let me get to the covers right quick the cover the original series run covers were done by Bill Schmidt and then I think towards the end they changed cover designer they, they changed cover design and I did not like any of the later covers that came after that and then they ventured off into new fear street which the covers were just like uh uh-uh, no i'm not here for it but um yeah the series ended in 1999 i think i remember either i don't know if the fear street seniors was the last serial part of the book because those were pretty fun they kind of got a little bit darker, but it was all about the senior class of, I think it was 1999 and how they were all getting killed left and right. And, um, yeah. So the fish Street seniors took place like one book a month. <laughs> um, yeah, they took place in one book a month and they, Revolved. I think there was even a cheerleader, a cheerleader book, but I don't think the evil spirits of um, Fear Street took part of that. Um, there was also Fish Ghost of Fear Street, which was a spinoff of Fear, um, the original, but it was kind of like aimed towards goosebump audiences. And I read a few of those, but they weren't um, too hot. But yeah, I think the Fear Street uh, seniors came out in 1999 I could be wrong but yeah so yeah the fear park was the least was the least favorite of those um but yeah fear street I felt like didn't get a lot of and in recent years did not get a lot of love it seems like everybody was always reminiscing about goosebumps and I was a fan of goosebumps too they had their books that no, I mean they had some damn good books. Don't get me wrong. The TV show back in the day was real good too. 
I just feel like a lot of people will say that with goosebumps got me to reading horror, got me to horror. And that's fine and dandy. I'm not knocking folks for that. And I applaud goosebumps for doing that. It's just that I was like, if you read goosebumps and you went, it's like you skipped a step. Me personally saying that if you went from goosebumps to Stephen King, it's kind of like there was a big gap there. Now I went from goosebumps to fear street to Christopher Pike, then jumped to Stephen King and actually, I think I did Anne Rice for I did Stephen King. But the thing of the matter is that um, there was that big gap between, you know, cause a lot of people just missed out on Fear Street. And you can tell because some of the reporting going on with the movie and stuff, you can tell that some people are really not familiar that well with the books. They just probably saw them, but they didn't read them and know the history of the books and of the characters and whatnot. And while Goosebump had returning characters and like, but they like they were self-contained, like um, Monster Blood. Um, I, I forget the main character's name in Monster Blood, but he appeared in all three Monster Blood books. Just like in the Return, uh, I think the only book that had different characters each book was the uh, was the Night of Living Dummy series with Slappy. But outside of that, like there wasn't a character from Monster Blood that popped up in Night of Living Dummy one two three or four or anything like that now i haven't read any of the goosebump books post the original run i think the last book was the 49th book maybe um but so they probably mixed them up since then but the great thing about fear street and the reason why i was so enthralled with it because outside of the history behind the town of shadyside the teens of the books will pop up in different books. Like one character from like the new girl will probably pop up in a book further down the line. I think even Corky and um, some of the cheerleaders popped up in like another series or something like that, another um, book, uh, maybe for a girl trying out for the cheerleader squad or something. It's just that R.L. Stein kept those characters popping up to be like, remember this book, but it's not like, you have to read this book to know what happened in this book. You can pick up any Fear Street book outside of the trilogies to read and see what happens in them. And what you just, you can just go and just, you know, oh, this character reminds me of the person, or oh, this is the person that so and so was talking to in this book. And it just kept the small town feel to the books, it, you know, and some of the teachers I think popped up in various books and stuff like that. So everything felt like it was connected. And, you know, I love a good series that's very, that has a, an anthology that has a connective tissue is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, um, Fear Street came back a few times because you can't keep a good book series down. It came back with um, Fear Street Nights, which I didn't even read. There was a trilogy, but it was just a, a quick trilogy. I think that was still done by um, um, Simon Pulse or Simon and Schuster. And then he did New Fear Street, which was, I, if I'm not mistaken, was New Fear Street done by, they were, but those, they was like only, there were like four books and it seemed like they were, I read the first three, but I never got that last book called The Bad Girl. But anyway, um, a, a Fear Street novel was the new Fear Street series that came out in 2014 and ran in 2017. And there's five books in that series. I think I have all five of those. If not, I'm probably missing one. And then the current um, Return to Fear Street books, which have, I think, three books so far. The last one being released in February 2019. 
hopefully somebody will reach out to R. Stein with the series going to Netflix and probably going to be the highest rated thing on Netflix next month and would have him write more books and the fishery books themselves have evolved from being like little small paperbacks to um like longer novels and Stein mentioned that on Twitter he mentioned that people weren't interested in reviving Fear Street and so because everybody was like this is during the time period like the Hunger Games and um what's the name of this series about the well, Harry Potter Twilight uh Vampire Academy you know uh what was the other House of what was that, that book series anyway all those type of books you know and hell L.J. Smith, who did the Vampire Diaries, was out during um, Fear Street. And so was the Christopher Pike novels. But you see that they reissued all of the uh, Vampire Diaries and continued those books on and um, with the Ghostwriter because I thought it was a travesty that they fired um, L.J. Smith, but that's a whole other conversation. And Christopher Pike's books were re-released, and some of those books were... Um, put in like compendiums um like i know the final friends trilogy was renamed um i think until we die until until the end or something like that and then the remember me trilogy remember me books i think it was still a trilogy were put was put in a compendium and also um the last vampire series which um you know they re what i'm trying to get the point i'm trying to make is they re-released those books and they continued them on and i just don't understand why fear street even though it did have a resurrection but it's like the resurrection was kind of like the resurrection for fear street has always been very short like they give rl stein a contract of four to eight books and then it's like that's it and it's probably because um I don't know, maybe people were just not into R.L. Stein outside of Goosebumps because his Goosebumps books are still selling. Um, but it just seems like people were just not you know, aware that he brought back Fear Street or even that Fear Street existed the first time around. And But I'm glad that this Netflix movie series is actually going to bring more attention to R.L. Stein's Fear Street because it deserves its shine. It deserves the flowers. Um, I, I'm so proud of other people who, not proud, but I'm happy to hear other people gush and geek over Fear Street just as much as I do because I felt like it was just only a, I felt like it was just a only a um, only a thing in my school but it seems like it actually was a thing in other places and just people just prefer goosebumps i guess but um hey just if you do get an opportunity to like i said check out a fear street book go back i'm pretty sure you can probably find some in some thrift stores going for like 50 cents 25 cents um i would try to avoid going online to find books because again scalpers they'll probably sit there because they know fish is about to be popular and they know some of the original covers of the books are probably like really rare and they're probably going a book that was going for like 3.99 back in the day is probably going for like 70 some odd dollars right now which is ridiculous hopefully again simon and schuster and simon pulse or whatever they call themselves today will reissue the original 
10 or the original 10 year the um 1989 1999 series reissue those books don't change the covers keep the covers on there as a nostalgia factor you know what i'm saying uh just re re-release them and and just give them to a new audience for the day granted fear street is very like cookie cutter it was like there wasn't any, there weren't any cuss words in the original original run but i'm pretty sure that's kind of changed in later years um but the story itself the i mean like the possessed cheerleader killing everybody on the squad and around the school it's just the story is transcends needing to have a curse word you know what i'm saying and don't think they if they want to modernize them that's fine because again there's no cell phones in the original series um there's no internet i think it's like towards the last part of the um the run and it started becoming a factor in storylines or whatnot but it's just that it was i i the reason why i kind of like champion fear street is because it was like one of the last relics of our childhood but it was like that it had one step in the past and one step in the future and that's what a lot of those books during that era sweet valley goosebumps the christopher pike novels um the vampire diaries you know the forget the forbidden game books um anything of that era it, it's just they were the last branch to the last bridge to this current generation of novels and stuff like that because like i said after i started reading like kind of like gave up on some of the later history books um i started reading gossip girl and on top of gossip girl i was reading like you know stephen king and rice um anything that was you know uh, michael Crichton, um you know books like that and you have to have your fluff you have to have your serious you know novels and stuff like that too and i started reading tony morrison and stuff like that i was reading tony morrison i would read a tony morrison book and they pick up a gospel girl book or whatever latest um fear street book that was out at the time you know just to balance it out you know it's okay to have a good read a good fear street novel a good, good a good goosebump novel a good gospel girl novel in between your hardcore fiction like you know um tony morrison Stephen King, Stephen Graham Jones, Paul Tremblay, Colin uh, Colson Whitehead, you know, any of those novelists that I read, you know, on the regular, um, just to balance it out, just not to let that little flicker of childhood fade away. Um, but yeah, just if you want to start try out Fear Street, try out the original series the ones that ran between 1989 and 1999 then work your way up to the current day and just see the nostalgia and just try to just if you don't want to read them just check out the just do a google search and just look at some of the great fear street covers from back in the day they were like video um VHS covers from the 80s from video stores and whatnot and I told you guys in the last podcast that my favorite cover of all time is the Fish Street Cheerleaders the first evil cover because that is a fucking movie poster and I pray that Netflix hears my cries and does the Fish Street Cheerleaders trilogy and have the first and re 
and recreate the covers of those three books with actual people. And I bet you the creep factor will still be there. I just want a poster of the Fear Street Cheerleaders, the first Eve on my wall. I want it as a t-shirt. You know, I want it as a mat on my floor. You know, just something. It's just one of the greatest covers ever done. And I just can't get enough of it. I love looking at it. It's my iPad screensaver. So, yeah, check that out. Check out the Fear Street Cheerleaders. Check out um, all the Fear Street books. If you want to check out the original Gossip Girl, the original series is running on HBO Max all six seasons. And like I said, that series, um, the new series starts July 8th. Fear Street drops on Netflix the first three Fridays of July, July 2nd, July. Uh, I know the last one is the 16th. I'm so sorry. This went my, my mind went blank then. Um, let me see. Well, <laughs> uh, sorry, July. Okay, here it is. July 2nd, July 9th, and July 16th. And make sure to check those out when you get the opportunity. And just let me know what you think. And this is the end of the episode. I will do a break, but I think you've probably had enough of me yammering. I think this is the longest episode I've ever done. I cannot believe that. Um, so, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Marco Estes, all one word, or Midnight Social Distortion. I'm on Twitter at The Anti-Critic. I am on Clubhouse, MS Distortion. And like I told you, my PlayStation my, uh, my PlayStation handle is M-O-S-T-I-S. I am thinking about bringing back my Facebook account. I don't know yet, but just be on the lookout for that. And also, be on the lookout for something special coming for the beginning of July. And with that being said, I will see you guys next time. Peace.